All right. Good morning, Hillside. That's like fantastic right out of the bat, right out of the box. What's up? I don't know what's up. I'm on stage. What's up with that? So uh, I am not Robbie Severson. I'm not one of your pastors. Um, that would be a fun introduction. That was going to be my joke, but he went, it showed up and introduced me earlier. So that one's out. Um, I do happen to be Chad Heckathorn. Um, I am one of the elders that gets to serve you here at Hillside. And uh, I happen to be a pilot. And so uh, the funny thing about, uh, there's a joke about, uh, about pilots. You can use this on me or others later. But they always say, uh, how do you know if there's a pilot in the room? And the answer is, is if you just wait long enough, they'll tell you. Um, we're, we're kind of proud of ourselves, and that's just the way the world works. But uh, nevertheless, I am a pilot. Um, some of the background on that, I didn't intend to be a pilot. And so you'll, you'll find I'm talking about a lot about aviation because that's essentially what I'm going to do like a modern-day parable on that this morning. Um, but aviation found me. And I think a lot of times in life that happens to us. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, my brother is a pilot. He's been a pilot most of his life, of his adult life. And uh, he runs a flight school. He sells airplanes. Bill, if you happen to be watching this, yo, that's great. But uh, he always wanted to become a me to become a pilot, and then we could be a pilot together, and I was always like, no thanks, you know, just not me. And uh, long story short, um, a hailstorm came through and hit uh, Hexseeds, which is the business that my family and I run. Um, building was brand new, hail damage on the whole thing, but I didn't want to fix it. I'm like, it's fine. It just seemed like a waste. I found out really late in the game that if I don't use that money to replace the steel or invest it in something, that it gets taxed. So here we are in politics, right? It's, jeez, uh, uh, that seemed really crazy because I, I wasn't worth anything more in life. It was just, a re, you know, my building was worth less and uh, the money replaced that, but I would have been taxed on that. So my brother-in-law, who happens to be a tax attorney and a pilot, said, uh, I think you need to buy an airplane. And I was like, well, why in the world did I do that? I'm not a pilot. I have no intention of being a pilot. And uh Long story short, they're deductible in a business like mine, and they don't depreciate. And if you think about it, that's a pretty short list. So I was going to buy the thing, stick it in a hanger, and mothball it, and that's the whole thing. And then for those of you that know me, once I had it, um, my personality started kicking in because it's kind of like that toy at Christmas time. You know, you know it's coming, and you just want to play with it and whatever. And so it's been a huge blessing in my life. Long story short, um, I try, and I would encourage you guys in anything that you have in your life, to try to use the things that God places in your life as ways to serve others, as ways to, um, to reach out with the love of Christ or to your world, your community. So um, you don't have to be a pastor to do that. Is that true, Robbie? That's absolutely true. So wherever you're at, do that. I try to do that with aviation. And so I'm going to give you a taste of that this morning because my long-term goals to kind of fill in the rest of it is a guy that had no intention to get into aviation to begin with. I got into it and I started to find myself saying, man, there are so many things that aviation, much like sports for you, for those of you that have coached, there's all these things that you can say, man, this principle of what we're doing here plugs in so well to the Christian life, so well into the Christian walk. And uh, so long term, I'd love to, when I grow up someday, uh, actually do flight instruction and teach people that. And I would love to take aviation along with my faith to them. So, you know, you've got all this duration of time. So um, maybe down the road, we can all check into and see that. So where are we going this morning? I am going to do 
and I don't have a clicker. So I don't know, something like this is going to be my click. Um, this morning, we're going to go into the FAAs, which is the Federal Aviation Administration. Get it open here. Could have done that before. It's uh, We're going to do a parable of the FAA's guide to Christian living. And so the concept here is that Jesus so oftentimes used parables from everyday life. We, you know, I'm a farmer. He used farming. He used uh, shepherding. He used fishing. I don't think flying was around per se, not that Jesus couldn't have done it. I mean, he walked on water and all that, right? But, uh, but we weren't ready for it. I like to think that I can follow in the steps of Christ in using something from our, our everyday life to teach us things further. So I want to throw kind of a, a disclaimer right up front. It's something that I, uh, I did work on as we're coming through, but a number of people have asked me this question. Um, if you guys notice, I came from the cheap seats back here. I always sit back here. These are my people back there. But uh, my friend Court, uh, a number of others always ask when they're like, hey, you're doing a message. What scripture are you preaching on, right? That would make a lot of sense. It did occur to me inside of doing this to say, man, I need to come up with a scripture verse. What I struggled with was coming with the whole thing that I was like, I'm going to need like 15 of them because as I move through, the topics change and where we're going is going to change. So there's an absence to that this morning. And what I find really cool about Hillside is that I think you would have noticed, which speaks to the preaching that we normally get and that we're a Bible-based church. But this will be much more of a, a modern parable. It won't be so much a uh, progressive parable, for sure, for sure, because this is going to be back to the basics. But um, let me know scripture verses that come to mind as you go along, if you would, afterwards. But I think you're going to find a lot of them that'll be rung inside of that. So... Um, to get rolling with the whole idea of aviation, I thought it'd be fun to say, much like sports, if we say that we uh, are going to touch base with someone, is everybody aware that that's a baseball thing? Right? Some may not. Some people are just like, no, I'm getting to the heart of it. It's touching base. But in baseball, pop fly goes up, is caught, you got to get back and touch base, right? If you're going to score at home plate, you have to touch base. This is, it becomes a, a saying that we use as Americans in our language and around the world. I was wondering if you guys could help me connect some of this or connect with you, have some fun. Keep in mind, I'm more of a youth group, college-type pastor, not so much a speaking pastor, so I'm going to try and jazz this up. Can you all help me, and this is audience participation, what are some sayings from aviation that we use every day? That is uh, not where I meant to start. <laughs> so we'll go with a whatchamacallit. And uh, so you can change that slide one more time. Um, I work with youth, right? You can buy all sorts of scripture learning and all sorts of things. How about others? Flying under the radar. Under the radar. That is worth a hundred grand. Yep, touch and go from the back. Are you a good catch? Raise your hand. All right, we're bowling. You ready? Fly by your seat of your pants. Right on. I'm like so tempted as a pilot to be like, do you know what that means? All right, are we good? That was the wind, for sure. Any others? You guys are doing great. By the way, when I was preparing for this, my daughter Mariah was helping me. I was like, do you have any sayings? She might be watching online as well. She 
thought she was at uh, 1045 because that's our normal when she'd show up. So she's on her way driving now and watching. So if she happens to walk in, I want everybody to turn like really awkwardly, right? Um, but uh, we started going into this and uh, she was like, I don't know if I have any. And so I was like, okay, well, I better be ready with some in, inside of this. But uh, some like, I'm going to take off. I'm going to land this plane. Do you guys, are you familiar with the idea of something stalling out? right? This project has stalled out. Definitely aviation. That's when a wing stops flying. We do all sorts of things. Roger, what a wingman is. How about Mayday? You guys know what? If somebody declares Mayday, is that good or bad? It's bad, right? If your pilot's saying Mayday, you're like, this is going down. Crash and burn, right? Um, here's one that I don't think that you'll know. Has anybody heard the expression balls to the wall? It's not a bad saying, guys. I always like, I can't use that one. It must be bad. What it means is, think of like a big military jet. All of their controls have balls on top of them. If I throw them all forward, I'm going to maximum get the heck out of here. So if you say that this is a balls-to-the-wall situation, it means we got to get out of here. So that's that. So changing slides again. A question would come up, uh, how safe is flying? This is that proverbial question, right? Is it really safe? Safer than being in a car? It is. Is it safer than getting struck by lightning? It actually is. Can you pop up the next one? In particular, if you're an American flying, Flying is super duper dangerous. There's a lot that could go wrong, but there are so many controls and we've done such a good job of regulating it that we've actually gotten to where only one in 29 million people that fly, that's your risk of actually dying in an airplane crash. If you lay that against being struck by lightning, it's almost three times as likely to get struck by lightning. That's pretty amazing. And uh, if you're a kid riding a bicycle, one in 340,000. If you happen to be that poor kid that's riding a bicycle in a thunderstorm, then your odds get even worse. But uh, go ahead and go one more. So how is it possible that you can be safer riding in a plane 30,000 feet in the air, which all of us have done. You know, if we've flown, that's really common that that happens. And all the things that could go wrong, why is it so safe? Because at the end of the day, Airplanes are very complex, right? Can I go to the next slide? So I'm going to walk you through kind of the history of this, and this is where this whole parable kind of starts to take, take shape, okay? Flying wasn't always safe, right? Not even close. For all the reputation that flying has today, it was not always safe. And so if you can put up the first toggle, in the world of commercial aviation, I want, if you guys notice, there's kind of two columns one would be commercial aviation. That's the one that you all pay to get on an airplane and go fly somewhere. General aviation is someone like myself, that we're just generally flying around, okay? So commercial aviation actually started very dangerous. If we were to scale it from 1950 to today, we should expect that two jet airliners would crash a month and that that would cost around 120,000, or around 120 people their lives per month. Would you guys be less excited to fly on planes? Right? It's like, wow, which, which airline had one this month? You know, it's like, uh, that, that's what it'd be like. They realized that, so next slide. 
So they started taking failures that they had and systematically start going after that. You guys feel a parable starting? Like, so go along with the ride with me. They systematically said, here's when we saw a failure, and they attacked that failure. Next slide. They created a term called normalized deviation, in particular, as it applies to pilots. This is going to be the, the pivot of, our, of my entire message, is this concept of normalized deviation. I'll define it in a little while, but you're going to get really familiar with this. They systematically attacked that normalized deviation in pilots like it was a cancer that it caused problems. Okay, next slide. So, to give you an idea of why it's safer than a lightning strike, we're going to just take 10 years, just because the nice round numbers from 2010 to 2020, two commercial jet airliners went down. Of those two, there was only one pilot lost on each. Guys, we went 10 years without a single passenger in the United States dying in an aircraft accident. With all the parts that can go wrong, all the decisions that can go wrong, all of the weather, all of the everything, they were successful in this even though they were mocked in the 50s at this concept even being possible. They said, we want to strive to a nominal zero, that no one dies in an aircraft accident. And in the United States, we've accomplished that. So now I want to juxtapose this against general aviation. It started very dangerous. Next slide. This is when it starts getting a little bit different, right? We're Americans. We're more casual, right? We're not being paid to fly. So we start saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, tower controllers, great. Radar, great. You know, airspaces, we got to be careful about flying in. We'll follow all that. But we followed it more as something that we were instructed to do, not a systemic cultural sort of thing. Okay, next slide. When it comes to normalized deviation, Caught up in the word of normalized deviation is that you're choosing things that are not, you're deviating from where you should be, and then you're making it normal. I'll, de I'll define that just a little better in the next slides. But that became part of it. This is kind of, this is what the, our American world looks like. When we start making decisions that create risk, when we start deviating, here's our numbers. Same time period, same basic instruction, but we can see that those numbers are totally different. At 2,598 crashes that happen, and around 4,386 people that lost their life during that time. So you would all say, well, then I'm flying commercially and not with Chad, right? That would be logical. <laughs> Nevertheless, those numbers are crazy low. Really, in 10 years, that's, that's super low. Much better than um, what you're going to find in many other activities we do. But nevertheless, what I want you to catch is they're different. Okay, next slide. So let's define what normalized deviation is. It's the gradual process by which the unacceptable becomes acceptable in the absence of adverse consequences. Try that one more time. The gradual process by which the unacceptable becomes acceptable in the absence of adverse consequences. So what I want you to do is think of that definition in terms of what if we think of that as God is trying to protect us in our life and he gives us something that he says, this is, this is something that I don't want you to deviate from, okay? Like, don't go here 
because you're deviating from where I want you to be. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're sinning the moment that happens, but we're on the path towards it. Does that make sense? It doesn't have to have the negative consequence right away, but on that path we find it. We'll find things that hurt us. Does that mean that God doesn't like love us? What he really wants to do is, as a pilot, if the FAA would come up with a rule and they say, don't do this, and I'd be like, why are you, why are you, you know, thrown off my groove? I just want to have a great time out here. What do you, you know, like, I think we think that way as Christians, that we look at God and we're like, why would you do that? You know, like, this is the way I want to go. That's what makes me feel good. Just leave me alone, right? I think if we turn that around um, and think, what if he loved us enough to say, this is the thing that's really dangerous for you. This is the thing that will make you unhappy in the net our image of the face of God and what his rules are start changing a lot, okay? And so uh, I think this next one really helps me as I think about it. If I find myself asking in a situation, how far can I take this, right? I think back to the whole idea of dating and like how far can I go with this, da 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 And it's just like how far is too far? I think you're almost defining what normalized deviation is because you're asking like how far, like, if this is the norm, how far can I deviate before it's not okay? That's Mariah. Can everybody say hi, Mariah? <laughs> Thanks for joining. Um, so I think it's a, a, an interesting question. to When you find yourself asking that, take a step back right away and ask, is it somewhere that I'd want to go at all? It, do I want to normalize my deviation? Do I want to start down a road towards something like that? Okay, next slide. Um, so a question that could be asked is, so we deviate. Big deal. You know, general aviation goes. I suppose the airplanes are less reliable. They're smaller. Weather affects them more, that sort of thing. And you'd say that's why little airplanes go down. As a matter of fact, a lot of people try to say that. If they say that, they haven't actually looked at the statistics and they aren't going through the flight programs that I was just talking about earlier that I'd like to get involved in. If you look, you'll find that 85% of plane crashes in the general aviation, in my world of flying, 85% of them are me. The pilot does something really ridiculous and gets themselves into a situation that they can't get out of, okay? Again, this is starting to sound like Christian life, you know, again, if you, you, you just, you, you find yourself there. And so I was curious if you guys could help me here again. We can go after the 100 grands. What are some reasons that, what are some of the mistakes that pilots make? What would you anticipate? Whether you're a pilot, not a pilot, what are things that guys like me do that cause airplanes to crash? What are the decisions or the process? Flying too low is a good one. You're going to have to, oh, come on. It's right there for later. Showing off, flying in bad weather, really great act. Answers, heart attack. That's not a decision. Come on. I'm going to just keel over and just scare my passengers to death right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, reckless flying we already had. Flying in the dark. So fly adverse conditions. Hold on. Who said the last one? Running. 
12%. That's the one that we were really going for. And there's another really parallel one. You know on airplanes that the gear goes up and down? 12%. 12% of the accidents that I listed earlier are to those two things. 24% of accidents are tied up in two things that, guys, I don't know how much more preventable it can get than that, but that's pretty preventable. Is that fair? 24%. So in that, I think that there's something that we can be learning inside of that when, when we find ourselves in really dumb situations where we're like, what are, what are, you know, how did I get here? And if we just self-evaluate a little bit, you're like, I really didn't need to be here, okay? So for kids, I want you to listen closely coming up in the message. I have one more candy bar. I'm, this is my bait. I want, there are a few more candy bars that I'm going to throw out here towards the end, but I will make it obvious and bring it up at the end of the message, all right? So next slide. So here's the reality in this world, whether it's the Christian walk or aviation, a common statement when you get into this is that the world's not inventing new ways for new ways to crash airplanes. Unfortunately, the old ones work just fine. For those of us that have gotten up to my tier and older, or up into, you know, where we've come firmly into adulthood, does this resonate with you? You, you watch young people, like when I do college ministry, especially in high school ministry, and you watch someone come walking in, you see what they're doing, and you're like, I remember this. I know exactly where this goes. It's not even new. It's not like somebody came up and, like, pulled something new out of a box, and it's new and shiny, and, like, you know, like, we really don't know where it's going to go. It's, it's actually pretty predictable. And so, here again, I think it's a great comparison when it comes aviation to here, Airplanes are actually, you guys listed off a bunch of great ones. They're still crashing for the exact same reasons. So it's really not that we have to change the airplanes. We've already shown that commercial aviation figured out how to stop it from happening. So we have to change the people that are using them. Fair? Okay, next one. So the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, is aware of all of this. They collect the numbers. You talk about bean counters. These guys are the best. They go after the numbers like crazy. Enough so that they actually did a study on what are the attitudes that cause people to make these poor decisions. How do we get inside the head of people before all of this happens and help them to get out of these situations before they happen? Okay, so they did an extensive study and they came up with this list of five. I'll do you some really quick examples. Anti-authority, flying too low over a city is not an issue, right? I'm just, I'm defying authority. I'm just going to go do it, okay? Number two, in terms of impulsivity, um, I have passengers flying with me. I'm coming into land, and the weather's not quite right, but I say, I'm headed to land. I must land, right? Pilots do it all the time. The reality is, it's an airplane. Do I have to land it? No, I can just put on power, go around, and come back and do it another way, right? But I get impulsive, and I go straight into it. Invulnerability, that starts getting into what I was talking about with young people. It's more common when you haven't been hurt yet in life. So in aviation, invulnerability is more common in young pilots. Same, same. Macho, um, yeah, hold my beer and watch this, right? That's, that's where that one comes in. And pilots get into this situation all the time. We, we, um, my mom, sitting back here, can tell you that from youth, I was probably destined to be a pilot because I have shown, up, shown off since very, very young. Fair? Yep, very fair. 
And then resignation, which this one is kind of surprising. When I was learning all these for the first time in flight school, resignation surprised me. But if you guys can imagine this, there are times when pilots finding themselves in a situation where they just say, that's it. I can't do anything about this, right? And they just resolve that they're, that they can't do, that they're, they're lost. It's a lost cause, a lost situation, okay? So there's the five. A government organization studied all about us as humans and said, when people make poor decisions, what are the emotions and attitudes that are falling behind those? So in my parable, in my modern-day parable, I'd like to dive into each one of these quick and just go over a few ideas with you. Um, specifically, I think you're going to find that some of these individuals of the five are going to hit each one of you in different ways. Well, I'll be covering one, and you'll be like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm really good there. Hang on. I'm going to probably step on your toes shortly on one of them. That's the purpose. I'm going to assume as hillside folks and as people come to a church like this that the goal is to learn and grow. If you're going to come to church, we want it to matter, right? So go easy on me because I'm, you know, like we're going we're gonna to get real inside of this, right? So first one. Anti-authority. Um, I genuinely think this is the greatest source that mankind has for what gets us in trouble. Um, when I'm doing Sunday school with kids, and you guys are all going to be like, yeah, 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 we heard this tons of times. God's here, right? When humans get in big trouble is when we want to be anywhere but here. Right? God's God. We're not right? But where do things like evolution come from? Where do, like, all of these different concepts, when we want to say God doesn't exist, we've actually removed him and elevated ourselves. When we go anti-authority and say his, his sin laws aren't for me, this one doesn't apply, we're bringing ourselves up, right? And, you know, God can be kind of, kind of rough at times because, He's all like all-knowing, all-capable, all-powerful. You know, kind of seems like he has a God complex. The funny thing is, he can. He's the only being in the world that can have a God complex because he's God, right? So I think this is a, a really good one. This is where we can address that idea that God shows us love, his love for us by defining sin. And so how can we apply it, not in aviation, but in our own lives? It's just viewing God's rules as blessings for your life. They're there out of his love for us, guys, right? And if that didn't inspire some scripture verses, you know, this is real. It's all over in scripture, okay? Next one. Impulsivity, do something quickly. Frank Borman, for those of you that are history buffs, might realize that he is one of our astronauts that went up originally on some of the Apollo 7s. I love his quote. It's super common among pilots, a superior pilot uses his superior judgment to avoid situations which require the use of his superior skill. That's pretty profound, isn't it? Make a good decision before it matters, and it still mattered. It mattered in the very best way. Okay? So, inside of this, the personal minimums is going to be the second one. And so, kids, if you're paying it, like, if you want towards the end, I'm just queuing you in, really pay attention because I want to hang hard on this personal minimums. I think it's a genius thing that aviation has done. Personal minimums are this. I'm the kind of guy that says, I want to go fly, I want to go do something, 
But life's funny in that it throws you curves, right? You find yourself saying, man, I, I really need to go do this, but I'm not adequately prepared for it. The weather isn't quite right. It's whatever it is. And you find yourself in that discussion of how far is too far. How far can I push my experience, my abilities, my aircraft, my situation, and still be okay? What day should you never decide that? The day of, right? In life, guys, how often do we make some of the most profound decisions in our life when it shows up? And how does that work, especially all of us old folks like me? It's not so hot, right? So it, within the aviation industry, they came up with the concept of personal minimums. A personal minimum list is things like this. I will not fly when clouds are below such and such height. I will not fly, period, if the wind is blowing from the side of the runway at over a certain speed or gusting to a certain speed, meaning it's not a question. If I show up and everybody in the world is, you know, depending on me to fly the airplane, I can turn to court happens to be a pilot too. I'm going to save you that one. But if I turn to court and I say, man, I can't fly today. It's outside my personal minimums. We are trained as pilots that he'll turn to me like, dude, that's fine. It's over. The discussion is over. Okay? How powerful would that be inside of our society if we adopted this idea further? I'll give you an example of mine. Um, by law, the protection of the FEA says that by law, I have to have a half an hour of fuel on my airplane at all times. So when I'm flying, I've got grace, right? I double it. Most pilots do. They double it to an hour. And so if it's late in the evening and I'm flying back and the fuel pump is, you know, not quite, you know, something's wrong or whatever, and I'm like, oh, man, Vermilion is really close. I'm still going to have 45 minutes of fuel left. When can't I change my mind? The day of. So I'm actually going to have you guys say this. If you guys decide to create personal minimums, when can't they change? They can never change the day you're being tested. I actually want us to all say it all together, so do that one with me. They can never change the day you're being tested. And just kids now, when can it change? They can never change the day you're being tested. Lock that one in. We're coming back to it, all right? Okay, so I'd encourage you to put personal minimums into your own life. Um, and as I go to the next slide, this is the toughest one for me. Enough so I called Robbie and said, man, do you really think this is fitting? My wife, who is my spirit, you know, she's like the Holy Spirit to me. That's Robbie's joke, not mine. She's like, man, are you really sure? But I'm going to go here just because I think it matters to us as a church, okay? So the next slide. When we start talking about invulnerability, we start, it's the concept that it will never happen to me, Okay. And so I want to bring up the concept. I, in full disclosure, I'm just going to put it out there, I'm one of those blessed few that grew up in a family that didn't drink. There were some crazy things that happened inside of our family that, that brought that about in me. But I'm kind of that weird unicorn that I've gotten to see the whole world my whole life from over here, right, where everything else is over here. And I've got this really weird, unique, and it is weird. In our culture, in our society, in our world, I have a very unique perspective that I've gotten to see in this, but I've gotten to be a student of it my whole life. And so when we start talking about alcohol and what it does with people, we full-on know that 10% of people, not quite as bad as people not putting gas in their airplane, not quite as bad as putting their, the gear down, but we fully know that 10% of people who choose to drink alcohol are going to become alcoholics. And guys, that's not a good thing. 
right? That's, it's profound. That should make us go, whoa, what, really, 10%? It's a little bit like saying that 10% of pilots that do this are going to crash airplanes. It's profound, right? 30% of people, it's just a matter of using it, choose to binge drink to get drunk, and with no ambiguity, we know that Scripture is going to say, don't drink alcohol to be drunk, right? Not to get into the splitting the hairs of whether we can drink at all or that sort of thing. We can hit that in a second. But then um, nearly 100% of people in my life that I've gotten to know, this is my own study, if they drink alcohol, actually do get drunk at some time. It sounds like a normalized deviation using the definition we used earlier, right? And I'm not here to step on anybody's toes. I'm just trying to say, like, you know, like, what, how do we want to each process this in our own life and make decisions, especially in something where there's a current that flows and so many people are doing something? And so the way I wanted to propose it, just to keep things simple for today, is if we were building a pilot training program and we full-on knew that if we put something in that training program that caused 10% of people to wreck their life, that would be rough, Right? If you, if you found out that your son was learning to fly and, you know, he had this particular flight instructor that had a horrible record of 10% of pilots that he trained crashed, you'd be like, no, like that's not going to happen, right? That wouldn't be a good number. So in terms of personal minimums, just because we, you know, I really want us to be able to drive that personal minimums concept down, you could choose to be a unicorn like me even if for a day. For adults, hey, I'm full aware. I'm, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. I've lived in and around through all these situations. By the way, I'm super thick-skinned and bulletproof on this. I've been in, all, in and around in all the situations. But I challenge you to just maybe choose to be me for a year, just to say, I'm going to go a year, and I'm going to be an observer of society. I'm going to be an observer of the things that are happening. Because the funny thing about alcohol is, a, is something, what makes it dangerous is once we're involved in it, it's it just kind of envelops the whole situation. It becomes okay quickly, okay? So that's just something I've noticed about it. Uh, how about youth? A personal minimum I'd give to you is I would just say commit till you're 24 years old before you consider getting involved in it. And I'll tell you why, because I think it's, 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 a, it's a pretty critical one. Guys, when does your insurance go down? When you're driving a car and you, you, you know, you're going to go out and buy a you know, somebody decides they're, they're going to buy a brand new Corvette for you. All you have to do is pay for the insurance each year. And you're 18 years old with a 500 horsepower Chevy Corvette. Can you afford that insurance at 18 years old? When does it get cheap? Somewhere in 24, 26 range. I'm choosing the low side of it. I'm also choosing it because you get to be me for a bit. You get to watch your friends go through all the most difficult times. Most people will that get in trouble with this. The government already knows that you're going to get in trouble by the age of, you know, like 21 or less. They had to err low because there was a lot of pressure. I'm just saying raise it up a little bit, set up 24, and just ride that out a little bit and just go through the experience. So with all that, I apologize if that's heavy, but I'm just, I'm just putting it out there because I, I think it's important that when we come to church, it matters. And I'm not saying that, you know, you can, you know, don't read the rest of it in. You know, Chad said if you're doing this, then you're not. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just trying to help us out as a church, all right? So going to the next one. I'm going to pick on me now. Remember how I said everyone is going to be something that steps on toes? This one gets me. This one's really rough on me. In a macho attitude, it's this can-do 
How many people, you know, I, do you, anyone else like me, you identify with that? I can do this. Like, put me in a situation. I always want to, I try to prepare my life so I can say, I can, I show up in a situation and I can do this, right? So some of the challenges is that so oftentimes in life we can, right? You go into the situation and we really can. It's a, it becomes a normalized deviation that we choose to do things without seeking God inside of our lives, that we, we just bully forward in things until we find ourselves out on that thin ice and then you're like, how did I get here, right? That's me, for sure. Uh, I, I, one of those things, if I'm being transparent with you, things like prayer, super difficult for me. I love why, like when I get to visit with somebody that has a, just like a voracious prayer life that they're like, oh man, this is, it means so much to me. I'm just, I'm like, I want to be you. You know, like that, it's so appealing to me to see that because it happens to be one of my weaknesses. So um, I had a quote that I got to get in here. Um, Alistair Begg, if any of you guys are familiar with that, said this, and I think it, it encapsulates this. And uh, Jonathan Pecluda, if you are a Becoming Something podcast listener, I'd encourage you to be. It's a really good one. He also quotes this one all the time. If dependency is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. Okay? And so if dependency on God is the goal, weakness is an advantage. And I, there again, I think a lot of scripture verses can come to mind when we think of that. Certainly the whole Old Testament for sure. Okay? With the nation of Israel depending on God. So um, I would say that in terms of application, if we seek God's strength in prayer and study, he's going to help us find what those weaknesses are. He'll help us find our blind spots and help us get those personal minimums in place. All right, so uh, slide, next slide. Resignation. This is a unique one. Like I said, this one surprised me in the aviation training part that someone would just say, I give up. It's all over. Um, but I think it's really true the more I pondered on it. We'll find this inside of relationships, our business, within our faith, all of these aspects. You know, how many times is, uh, you, we see someone in a marriage and you can almost feel when it turns that corner where they both just say, I give up. And, and everything changes in that moment, right? The resignation of it where you just fall in and just say, I can do nothing about this is a really profound step. And the FAA brought it right out. Their advice, and this isn't mine, in terms of pilots, fly the plane is something that every pilot knows that statement. Fair court, same, same. Fly the airplane. When you find yourself in a situation, pilots will beat it into each other. If you're going to crash, fly the airplane to the crash. Anything that's within your power, do it. To the end, right? So the idea is just fly the airplane. Something goes wrong, get your head up, Get your hands on it, fly the airplane, and then if that's you this morning, I'd encourage you, fly the airplane. Just grab a hold. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it will be so much better than if it, I mean, Jesus make Jesus Take the Wheel makes a great country song. It doesn't make for great driving, right? So last slide, let's land this plane, to use my aviation example, all over. One more time, with normal deviation, it's essentially when we take a place that we shouldn't be, we go there, which we can normally get away with, but then we stay there. We normalize it. We make being out of sorts the norm for our life, right? With personal minimums, we can use them to keep ourselves in check 
the day when something comes up. And so can I get a, any of the kids that want to take a stab at this? Carson, when can you not change your personal momentums? Excellent. Anybody in the back far enough that you didn't hear what she said? Do you want to take a stab at it? When can't you change your personal minimums? <laughs> I put her right on the spot. For the record, I would never be able to answer it on the spot. So thanks much. <laughs> that guy just took candy from a kid. No. <laughs> All right, so um, the two things I want you to take away from this morning don't focus on any of the individual things I've said, not on any of the examples at all. What I'd really love for at the end of this message you to take away is what are the normalized deviations that I have in my life? I think it's worth your time if you've been taking notes or, you know, literally just put it into the internet anywhere, the five hazardous attitudes, boom, it'll pull it up. It's really popular. Self-evaluate yourself through those five, and when you come out, Take the next step and actually write down personal momentums. Generate some things in your life where you say, I struggle with this. Visit about it with your friends and say, I've created these. I would encourage you to do this. And you pass this on to others. And guys, that's what it looks like to be the church, right? We share our lives with someone else. We say, these are what my struggles are. Here's how I'm going to go about addressing that. Can you help me with this? This is my minimum don't ask me to go into that space. Or if you see me willingly going into that space, can you help me and say something? And so I think all of this comes together as the way that I think aviation can help us as Christians. So I apologize about the no scriptures, but I really do hope that as we went through it, that scripture verses were popping in your mind and, and stories in there. But with that, that's what I have. Thanks so much.